This is Future Water, where we talk about all the ways in which companies, utilities, and people are addressing the challenges and opportunities in water. Today, it's all about big water. No, not bottles. We're talking about Violi and Suez and what their potential marriage could mean for water. I am Reese Tisdale with Bluefield Research, and today I'm joined by my colleague and partner, Keith Hayes. Keith, what's going on? Hey, Reese. Doing pretty well. Doing pretty well over here. How's it going over there? Pretty good. Early morning here. It's nice to sort of crank it up. So, uh, you know, it is what it is. We don't have to talk about the rest of the world. The ice shelf, the California wildfires, the eight hurricanes forming in the southern Atlantic. And uh, I guess reportedly there is that pandemic. But in the meantime, there's actually some deal flow happening, or at least should I say potential deal flow. We hear about a number of big companies, but a couple in particular, the two biggest in water, Veolia and Suez, there's been an unsolicited bid. So to set this up, I mean, those are the two biggest companies outside of their other assets. I mean, we're talking $12, $11 billion in water revenues alone for those companies. But Veolia made an unsolicited bid for Suez to buy, what, a 29% stake in uh, Angie, uh, which is basically, I think, as they've said, their first step towards a full or majority takeover of the company. It's happened before. They tried this in 2012, but to no avail. And I think, you know, what's interesting about this is these are, one, huge companies, but they're also diversified and they have their strategies or I guess water positions are a little bit different, but I guess the question is, would this be a good thing for water? Any thoughts on that from your perspective? Right. So thanks for the setup and you're right. I mean, this is, this would be like the 600 pound gorilla in the industry joining with Godzilla or something like that. I mean, there's, there are two big players. That's why you call it big water. And it would definitely have repercussions first, most definitely in France, and then all over the world, right? Because as you mentioned, it's water, which is, you know, 12 billion in revenue, but then there's also the huge waste side of the business that Veolia is is a leading player in. So is it good or not? I mean, I, I think there are different ways that we can think about that question, right? Is it good for improving service for French customers where... Those two companies serve about 65% of the population. Another question would be, is it good for innovation? Meaning these two huge firms, which they're acquisitive, they're pushing certain strategic priorities. Would that be good for them to innovate more or acquire more companies or what's going to happen with that? Uh, I think there's another question about just overall is this deal a signal of maybe other deals to come? Does there need to be more consolidation overall in the industry to get economies of scale to deliver the returns that certain types of investors want? Yeah. So there's a lot of questions to parse here. And I think that there is a logic behind why Veolia approached Suez, obviously. You know, the whole story around creating a French champion, they've got a bit of a PR blitz going on right now. And apparently the French state, which owns a golden share in Angie, which owns that 29% of Suez, 
has been rumored to look on this favorably. Yeah. So I think the thinking there is that it, it could be good for the French state in terms of what they can get, what the benefits would be for the French population of that. I think that there's a lot of fine print there, just looking at the French market in terms of how Veolia would offload the competitive conflict that they have right now, because those two companies controlling 65% of the market is, is too much. And so Veolia has already lined up Meridian, which is a French infrastructure fund that would remove that competition concern. So you could argue that not a whole lot would change in France, perhaps, if they're able to restructure that and Veolia gets out of essentially that French municipal utility space that they're in right now, which is something that they've been looking to do for a while anyway. It's been a relatively slow growing business and Veolia has been prioritizing more industrial. So that's the one question over very quickly on, is it good for France, muni utility customers? The other question around um, innovation, I think is an interesting one because the way these two have looked to innovate or not, right? I mean, you've got Veolia and Suez both have their technology ventures. It appears that through Aquology, which was a Spanish division of Suez, they've been developing a lot of digital solutions for municipal, a lot of software, a lot of areas for operational improvement there that Veolia has not. So that would be complementary. On the other hand, Veolia has tried to innovate in some of their industrial wastewater treatment processes. So there's innovation happening there, but they're still two huge companies. They'll probably remain pretty well siloed. So I think a big question there is, you know, are you going to see a ton of innovation coming out of a, a company this big or could they end up stifling that? I think that would be a concern. But the flip side of that is that it may open up opportunities for other smaller firms that are more agile, that can get through their approval process and get funding for R&D projects that a combined field and Suez might be tripped up in. I think I would say that's actually the really interesting point, because I agree, if you sort of look on paper, and I think you've done research in the past on this, and that is Violi being what we would call like an asset light strategy. We've done research that, I mean, as far back as 2014, 2015, sort of this transition away from the utility ownership or concession model towards more asset light. Suez still owns a fair amount. I mean, they're an investor in utility in the U.S., for example. But on paper, they may match up well as well as geographically. But yeah, what's interesting is the technology development. And we know that Suez, I think they're even still struggling with the GE piece, the GE water that they acquired several years ago and integrating that, let alone their other business units. I mean, these are, I think that's the nature of these large acquisitive companies that start rolling up larger assets, whether it be the USG or the tank business, as well as the equality piece as well as the GE piece, which is a big one. And that pushes Suez into industrial. But then they're both French, right? At least they, they speak the same language as they say. So culturally in Paris, they, they could see eye to eye. The question is, what about the rest of the world? That will be a monumental challenge overcoming that. Yeah, I mean, I would say Suez has followed Veolia into industrial in a lot of ways. And you could say Veolia has followed Suez into digital, and therefore that might complement each other. But again, it, it comes a lot down to the whole integration plan and how that would work out. 
179,000 BLD employees, 89,000 SUAS employees, how they would restructure that, how long it would take, how to make it cohesive. You know, SUAS just announced not very long ago last year, their plan to 2030. They were already planning some restructuring initiatives, which could fit somewhat well with Veolia's plan. Suez was looking to sell off some of their muni utility assets, and they have been dealing with some of their own activist investors. So this could potentially be a, a way to deal with that. But there wouldn't be two companies easy to integrate. And you wonder, okay, well, maybe what's going to come out of this is that certain things will not get integrated. There will be more that will be sold off. They will try to stay asset light instead of just becoming this larger block. Yeah. There's so much noise around it too. I mean, one, Suez has got their 2030 plan, which I think the targets are set for 2023 that we've done some analysis on, but also they have an activist investor inside who's pushing them to be more efficient, whether they benefit from this, one would hope. I think there's also the broader impact of COVID and recession on the business. I think there's some pushback from at least Suez saying, hey, you're trying to buy us on the cheap. They've both taken a hit over at least doing some Q2 financial analysis. I don't have the percentages in front of me, but you know, 500 million or so, if I recall, for Veolia and a couple hundred million for Suez. So that's the broader landscape. And I don't know how much of that is driving it or if there's something else behind it. Maybe the activist investor involved is saying, find an opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, no, but you know, there's definitely the argument that Antoine Frere is making out of Veolia is we could weather this storm a lot better together. And that's the ploy, obviously, to the French state as well. And so I think that's what they're going to have to work through. But you're right. I mean, you know, you can see how politically it might fit, culturally it might fit. And then you get more of the asking price. And that's where you're right. I mean, the upside and how they're valuing the business. I think it was a was a 20 or 30% premium on their share price a couple of weeks ago. It's not huge seeing in the context of a lot of the upside that Suez sees, for instance, on the digital side or even some of the industrial growth that they're expecting. What about Latin America? I mean, you've looked at that. Is there much overlap in places like Latin America that you've seen? No, I mean, I think, you know, when you're looking outside of Europe, I mean, if we were to go around the world a little bit, so Suez and Viola actually had a partnership, I believe it was called Proactiva, that existed from like 2000. Were they both involved or was that FCC? Was that FCC? Uh, well, I've sort of, it's all running together. So, yeah, no. <laughs> both of them have been looking at Latin America. Suez has a much stronger position owning uh, utilities in Chile. Veolia has industrial projects there, but I wouldn't say either of them is, is particularly strong there. They're probably stronger in Asia uh, with some of the industrial treatment that Veolia has been doing. And in uh, Chongqing, Suez has a pretty sizable joint venture with a Chinese water company. Those are areas where they've got some synergies in terms of how they could complement each other. On the other hand, you know, North America, obviously there as well. I mean, they could say that Suez would complement them in terms of their utility business. 
and they're trying to grow an industrial, but build is way more dug in, I would say, on the industrial side alongside what they acquired from GE. So, I mean, Veolia has kind of got more of an O&M services business, so as is more on the, on the utility business. But those guys have been competing in each other head to head for O&M contracts on the muni side in, in the U.S. for years now. Yeah, which is interesting. I mean, even and maybe it's related to this, but just prior to this, there was news that Veolia, who also in North America has relatively new CEO for their North America business had been discussing or at least reportedly discussing the divestment of its O&M or with its water business in America. What that means, trying to figure it out. But yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, they are the leading player, at least by number of contracts, third-party O&M services. And there's other news in O&M, but you know, there's just seems to be a lot of activity there among Veolia and other companies, but also Suez subsequent to the sale or purchase of GE, then they sold off some of their utility. They needed some capital, I think, to help pay off debt. It was at the Dutch, um, is it pension plan, PGGM, it acquired a stake in Suez's utility assets. And even Suez North America has a new CEO that's, I think she's relatively new over the past month or two. So there's a lot of changes happening. And I think also Violi at the same time, they've been over the past couple of years, they had been committed to the energy sector, upstream hydraulic fracturing, and we're working in the Marcellus, looking for setting up large, I'd say capital intensive reuse projects, you know, $275 million treatment reuse projects for produced water and that market is is struggling as well. It'll be interesting to see what happens asset wise. There's a lot of puzzle pieces to move around. With that being said, it's between Suez and Veolia. Anybody else? I know there's been discussion about other interested parties. I think everybody's interested to see what happens, but would anybody else step in to purchase them? Is there either a better fit or who would be interested? Yeah, I mean, I was looking at Saur, which is kind of like the little little brother of Veolia and Suez in the sense that they are a French private water utility group that's been servicing a lot of, I would say, mid and smaller sized towns in France. And then they have some more network operation contracts in the Middle East, and they've got one in Scotland as well. And this company was, I would say in a smaller sense, they were acquired by French banks and infrastructure funds back in 2007. And then they were sold on to uh, EQT, which is a Swedish equity firm uh, in 2018. And over the course of that period, I wouldn't say they grew a lot. Uh, over the last couple of years, though, I think EQT has pushed them to put in place a much more ambitious growth plan. And what can we see from this? I think it was a smaller deal, it was less strategic. And they're, I would say, trying to grow into a league that's a bit closer to Veolia and Suez. But the point here is that there are French infrastructure funds and private equity players, for instance, that are in the mix that are clearly going to be looking at these assets. I mean, everybody's seen in the press that Suez feels that this deal is not a good fit, that the price isn't high enough, so it does invite a counteroffer. I think the last we saw in the news was that the French private equity firm Ardian 
is in discussions with Suez and Beulia, and they could possibly best Beulia's offer. And uh, you know, I think the other point is that when you look at it from an investor point of view, the attractive thing about water is that it's very stable. The less attractive thing is that it's not spitting out huge dividends and returns year on year. You're not investing in a tech company, you're investing in water company, it's essential services. So when they're publicly listed, they might not be generating the growth that all investors want to see. So if Suez were to be acquired by a private equity firm and taken private, which has happened previously with some other firms, that could be good for them in terms of freeing their hand to execute on their strategic plan with less pressure from the public market. So are there French uh, infrastructure funds out there? Yes. Could they agree on a price? Perhaps. But the politics around this are relevant, I would say, because you know one of the attractive things for the French state owning Angers, which has this stake in Suez, is creating this national champion out of Veolia and Suez. And that argument is obviously weaker when you're talking about selling to a, to a private equity fund, although that would probably maintain a bit more of the status quo, let's say, because they would still be separate and there may be... Uh, a different strategy how to manage them financially. I mean, I think as I sort of circling back to this first question I had for you, is it a good thing for water? I'll take a stronger position on it just as we talk through it. And that is, I'm not sure it is. You know, I think it's good for stakeholders in the company, those that are selling off at a premium and they get returns on that. But as far as like innovation, and I think if anything, it might slow innovation or or just maintain this fragmented portfolio of solutions between Suez and Veolia, but also across their other acquired companies like GE, like I said, they brought over time. And the other issue is, you know, water is local. I mean, everybody says that. And so I think whether it be utilities or industrial firms, they kind of use in many cases who they know. And it is relationship-based in many cases. Both of them already have products and technologies that are, they're available. So I think, and I've said this before, technology is really not the issue, the bigger hurdle in the water sector. It's really one execution, paying for it, uh, cultural willingness of a utility or industrial firm to move towards sustainability and resiliency on their own terms. So I don't know if this drives that. It supports it, but doesn't drive it. Yeah. I mean, I think it it depends on how you look at innovation. I mean, I'm not sure if everybody looks for these multi-billion dollar companies to be super innovative, right? I mean, in the sense that a lot of startups are known for innovation and there's a whole constellation of companies in France and and elsewhere that are working on better treatment technologies or more energy efficiency or predictive analytics and all that stuff. And I I think a lot of that innovation comes out of smaller companies that don't have the pressure or the... the Or or even within these companies themselves, right? I mean, you've had a lot of conversations with technology groups within Suez and Veolia. And so they're doing things kind of, I don't want to say on their own, like ecology is a good example. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. When you think about it from the innovation lifecycle point of view, like, okay, you have an idea, you go out and you get finance, you build some pilots, you deploy it, and then you get to a point where, okay, the thing works. 
And then how do you scale it, right? And what's interesting maybe is to think about, you know, for Veolia and Suez have been a very interesting exit option for a lot of startups. And what you could say is that, look, if these guys merge and they already have this, their own ventures, and if they can put their heads together and be that much better at parsing different technologies and if they can work and piloting them on municipal networks or industrial treatment plants that they're operating, that could be good for the industry, right? Because they, they're kind of at the end of the innovation cycle in terms of they get to the point where they could help finance and scale up technologies. And if that's their role in the innovation life cycle, that's okay, right? They don't have to be the seed idea inside of a Suez or Veolia lab. Right. So I think in that sense, that could be positive. But look, if that doesn't happen, in any case, you know, I think what we'll be talking about a little bit is that the integration of those two companies could trip them up a lot. And it creates opportunities for more agile players to sell to customers that maybe aren't happier or don't like the way that Billy or Suez are approaching them. They do find their solutions too complex. The stuff these companies already have as separate entities is not that well integrated by some accounts. So, you know, they may say, look, we're not going to deal with these guys because we don't even know, do we call Suez or Veolia right now when we've got two or three other bids, they've got it much more tightly aligned with what we're looking for. And so that could create an opportunity which inadvertently could support innovation, not directly from the deal, but the collateral effect would be the rest of the industry responds and tries to cover some gaps. The rest of the industry sees this. Yeah. They see an opportunity to step in because they can move faster. And I think that was your earlier point. So that's the upside of all of this. I'm not convinced this is going to happen. I think it's really interesting to talk about because they are, I mean, like I said, we call these guys big water. They've sort of created their own segment within the industry. Right. Yeah, no. And I mean, it's important. We didn't really define what we mean by big water before, but you know, when, when at Bluefield Research, we do analysis of the value chain for multiple areas, whether it's industrial or, or municipal. And we've got that line going across the top of all the different things that water companies can do from manufacturing technology to deploying it or financing it or operating it or owning it. And you have very few companies that totally run the gamut at scale. And these are the only two that really do. So does that model really work? I think what we're seeing is maybe it doesn't work because they are trying to shed assets. And part of the reason this, this merger proposition has come about probably has been because of the impact of the pandemic and it exacerbates certain weaknesses in that business model. So, you know, I think what's also interesting to think about is if this deal happens, does it also create an M&A environment for other types of deals? Yeah, because all of a sudden, because any other water deal in the sector, there's some touch point with Suez and Veolia, whether they're a customer, they're a competitor, they're a service provider, they're a partner. And so I, I think that's what's also interesting as well, is as we get into sort of hopefully you know, let's say mid, late next year into more of a recovery period, what's that going to look like? And what's that going to mean if these companies are together, I think is is an interesting perspective as well, but then all the other things might happen around it. Yeah, let's try to wrap it up. But I think the end of the day, we'll be following this, tracking it, I think one on a regional basis. I mean, even I think I saw this morning or yesterday that you know, Suez is already moving head on divesting some of its waste assets in Europe. And 
there's just a lot of moving parts. And as it unfolds, we'll be keeping track of that, whether it be on this podcast, Future Water, or in research notes and other analyses we're putting out. But for all those companies out there, we're always willing to help, I suppose, figure this out. So anything else to add as we close shop for the morning or day, depending on where you are? I just say, watch this space. We're there to keep digging into what happens. Yeah, this deal and others. It's getting, uh, it's getting busy. So uh, I know we're really excited about that. All right, Keith. Well, thanks for uh, stepping up again, as always. Stay well, and uh, we'll obviously talk again soon. Hasta la vista. All right. So this podcast and these water industry insights have been brought to you by the one and only Bluefield Research. You can always learn more at bluefieldresearch.com. And if you haven't, there are a number of free reports at your fingertips. So visit us, register, take advantage of it. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe to the Future of Water, this podcast. And also, don't forget to subscribe to Dave McGimsey's Water Values podcast this past week. He interviewed Dana Haas from uh, WaterSmart. So I think that's a really interesting conversation. He's got, I forgot what episode he's on, 160, 170, I should know, but somewhere near there. But subscribe to Dave's Water Values podcast. In any case, thanks again to everybody from Bluefield Research. Take care, be well, and you'll hear from us soon. Mm-hmm.